Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Broadcasting today from Decatur, Illinois, day number one of the Farm Progress Show. And we have lots to talk about as we look ahead to these next three days. I'm broadcasting from the BASF Media Center today, and we'll be talking with the director of the Farm Progress Show, Matt Youngman. Also joining us will be the executive director of the Illinois Corn Growers Association. So we'll talk about ethanol, RFS, and some issues. And we'll also be talking today, calling in to the show, will be Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I want to get his thoughts on the significance of the trade deal with Japan and where we are with the situation with China, a lot of hope again, optimism, because they've they've said they're going to talk, but uh, the long ways to go, it seems like, uh, on that front, and that's still the big cloud hanging over everything. But we'll talk about that with Dan Hallstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation a little bit later on. And also uh, here at the Farm Progress Show, an update on the battle against soybean cyst nematode. But we're going to start things off with the uh, director of the uh, Farm Progress Show, Matt Youngman, joins us. And Matt, uh, well... We started earlier in the year doing these previews, looking ahead, and it's finally here, and you get here, and it's beautiful weather for those attending, but you've had enough rain that you had to cancel your field demos for today. For today, yes, and and it, it, it isn't doesn't have anything to do with the maturity of the crop. It, it has everything to do with the safety of the crowd. You know, we, we ended up uh, bringing in a silage chopper and chopping off some of the end rows on, on some of the later maturing corn so we could get to the the early maturing corn that, that's actually ready to go. And, and so that didn't leave any residue behind. So a little bit of rain makes that awful slick. So it, it probably has a lot more to do with with safety for the crowd, you know, than, than it does even the agronomics of the decision. So today, you know, we had we had the front come through last night that we were worried about that, that leads to this gorgeous weather that we're going to have for these three days. We're going to have perfect weather all three days of the show, which for Decatur not to be 100 degrees is pretty wonderful. Um, but, you know, some, some 15, 20 mile per hour breeze out of the northwest with no humidity. We're going to get things dried out good and then have, have great demos tomorrow. In fact, you hope to maybe later today, you know, test out some of the equipment, get ready for tomorrow's demo. Yeah, we held everybody off. Between that, between the rains that we got and, and holding everybody off to get the crop dried down, none of these combines have, have had any hours on them whatsoever. So they've still got to do their test and tune. So we're probably going to try to sneak them out around the back way and away from the crowd and, and, and have a little bit of tune-up time because nobody likes to set up a brand-new combine in front of a giant crowd. So we'll get them some test and tune this afternoon and then be ready to run roll combines at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. So no field demonstrations today, but it uh, looks like with the forecast, all systems go both tomorrow and Thursday. That, that, is, that is the case. I mean, the agronomics of tillage tomorrow will be, will be the thing we're trying to figure out. Is it, is it the right thing to do to go out? Or, or you know, if, if we make everybody run and they look bad, that nobody wins in that deal. So, so if, if it's fit, we're going to run, and if it's not, we're just going to do combines. But we've also got... The autonomous demonstrations, the drones, the ride and drives, uh, the tiling demo with the pipeline, the mock pipeline strike. You know that even you know no matter what we do, there'll be a lot going on out there tomorrow. Coming in today early this morning, parking lots were a little sticky, uh, some muddier than others. 
You had any trouble getting the crowd in this no, morning? No, we did a we did a good job last night before the sun went down of scouting the high spots and 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 scouting the entrances and and we kind of knew where our trouble spots were going to be and we've avoided those to this point. Let the sun shine on them a little bit and then they're going to be fine. Um, this afternoon, you know, we we didn't actually we pulled a few campers in last night. But we haven't pulled or pushed anything today so far. So the, the crews are doing a great job of picking their spots to get the crowd in. And the, the exhibitors did, too. i got to tell you that, that you know, sometimes the exhibitors coming in at 630 in the morning, they make as much of a mess as anything. So they kind of worked with us on that, and, and it was a little frustration for them. But got everybody in, got a good opening ceremonies out of the way at 8 o'clock this morning, and that was, uh, that was a really great start to the day. So the big question, you and I were talking about this, how the crowds will be. Everybody always wonders about that on the one hand because of the lightness of the crop they're not going to be in their fields farmers won't be uh, busy in their fields but on the other hand we know the the ag economy is down and a lot of uh, a lot of concerns about that so it's going to be interesting to see how many come out this these next three days that is going to be interesting you know is is the is the fact that they're able to come to the show overridden by their you know their desire to come you know you don't you don't necessarily you don't go shopping for ferraris if you can't afford a ferrari so you know but at the same time even if you're not somebody that buys new equipment if you buy three-year-old equipment three years from now the stuff that's out here shiny is going to be in your barn lot so um you know there's still good reason to come and take a look at the new technologies and the things that are being unveiled and and you know, just groundbreaking stuff. It doesn't sound like much, but but Lexion combines changing their paint color. That's kind of a that's kind of a big mark being set. And the introduction of uh, the serious introduction of the Fent tractor into the North American market is is a is a big one. There's there's lots of big momentous things that that were unveiled globally at eight o'clock this morning. And there's a lot of information here for them to gather. You know, agronomic information, and policy information, yep. issues information along with the commercial aspect of it and 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 education and safety and and you know antique tractors and a beer garden and you know anything we work hard as as show as show management to make sure that we check as many boxes as we possibly can so that there's there's not one nobody comes to the show for one thing um they're going to come for a number of reasons and we want to make sure to give them just as many reasons as we possibly can tell us about some of the events that go on here uh entertainment-wise and some of those types of things beyond just the show itself. Yeah, so, you know, we have, uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, we want to provide as much of a fun, entertaining, educational, commercial environment as we can. We've got the Peterson Brothers here tomorrow. We've got Easton Corbin here tomorrow performing a song from the movie Silo, which is a grain entrapment drama. And he wrote the the song over the closing credits. We're, we're we're excited to have him. And then you know you go around and and the farm credit exhibit and the the agco exhibit and, and a number of those exhibits they have live live performers and and I'll say other things that are fun to watch. Whether you know if it's chainsaw carving or it's the the lineman from the local co-op doing a, a pole climbing competitions and you know just just all those kind of fun activities that that make it an event. Lots going on. Secretary Purdue will be here tomorrow. Yes, we're we're excited about that. You know, we're 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 thrilled that since he's been in office, he's been to every Farm Progress show since he's been in office, and um, you know, there there's 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 a great opportunity there for him to get the feel for what's going on out here, um, and and there may be a few things coming down the line on that that I can't talk about, but we're awfully excited that he's on the way, and uh, we're gonna we've even got a little bit of a tractor operating deal for him to him to 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 show off his his abilities 
So there'll be people here wanting to hear what he has to say on behalf of the administration, and he's probably going to hear from them on some things. I tend to think so, yeah. The the hospitality building at 1130 tomorrow morning is probably going to be a pretty hot spot for for all you guys and for everybody out here that's got an opinion on something. Matt, always good to see you. Look forward to getting those field demos going tomorrow. But in the meantime, hope folks will come out and enjoy the great weather. Thank you. I'll see you at Syngenta tomorrow. Thanks a lot, Mike. Sounds good. Matt Young, the National Show's Director for Farm Progress, opening day of the Farm Progress Show here in Decatur, Illinois. Joining us next will be the Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers Association, Rod Weinzero. We'll talk trade, we'll talk ethanol and RFS and more. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now to talk ag issues is Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore. Dale, how are you? I'm very good, Mike. I, I heard Rusty's update on the markets, and it's nice to hear at least a little bit of positive news kind of coming yeah. back in after we had a rough start to the week. We need some positive news for sure, and I guess that's a good place to start because it seems like most of the news in agriculture right now is negative. What are you hearing from your members across the country? Well, it's that uh, ongoing series of of frustrations of how difficult it is to get some of these trade issues sorted out. There's a lot of appreciation, uh, you know, expressed relative to the president and Secretary Purdue's efforts to provide some trade assistance authority on top of, you know, getting the new farm bill implemented, getting uh, the process on the disaster bill. Those, you know, a lot of work going on at those FSA offices trying to help folks out. But man, what we would really love to see is some resolution. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. In the fight against resistant weeds, you need to be prepared to fight back with the best possible herbicide rotation available. Kick off your soybean spray program with Syngenta's pre-emergence residual herbicides, Boundary or Broadaxe XC. Follow that with the hard-hitting post-emergence knockdown and residual herbicide Flexstar GT 3.5, and you'll be giving your soybean fields the protection they need to win the fight against weeds. To learn more, visit your local Syngenta retailer. Always read and follow label instructions when using Syngenta products. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Opening day of the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. Joining me now is Rod Weinzerl, Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers Association. Rod, good to see you. And yeah, morning, Mike. You've got a great exhibit here. What are you What are you trying to show people here at the Farm Progress Show? Well, we're here uh, right across the street from the media tent, and we've got a lot of our partners in there. Obviously, trade's a really big deal. Uh, had the announcement over the weekend around Japan. Uh, we're working uh, the U.S.-Mexican-Canadian agreement really hard wanting people to make phone calls into Congress. We have as partners in our display Illinois beef and Illinois pork, which obviously is value-added corn, and we appreciate them being there. Uh, We're doing some stuff around water quality, uh, nutrient loss. Uh, We have the National Corn Ethanol Research Center is doing a lot of work on biodegradable plastics, and DuPont, one of the companies they're working with and making some products, uh, obviously talking a lot about ethanol as well. So... Just a lot uh, going on in our display, and hope people who would swing by and talk to us a little bit about trade. And, of course, the good news of the deal with Japan. that We, we needed some good news and finally got some. Yep. Uh, obviously, we've uh, been pushing for better trade, uh, some relaxing of some of the uh, quotas and tariffs that they have. And it uh, sounds like over the weekend the administration got that done. Really big deal for uh, beef and pork exports, uh, which our value-added corn, again, and soybeans, and and we're looking forward to that market growing, and, and Japan's been a great customer for all of those products, uh, and hopefully they'll buy a little bit more meat now because of the agreement. We're going to talk more about that in our next segment with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and get his thoughts on the, on the deal with Japan. Uh, obviously, though, China still is the cloud that hangs over everything when it comes to trade. Yeah, China uh, was in the news uh, again here, uh, again over the weekend. Um, and, you know, we've we've had a lot of comments about, um, you know, hey, we're continuing to talk. That's a good thing. Uh, we thought maybe uh, late last week that maybe we weren't going to talk so much, but sounds like... Uh, uh, pressure or whatever uh, came back, and they're back talking again, and we just co- keep hoping that we keep moving towards an agreement there. Uh, really important to the soybeans side, obviously. That's what most people are focused on. But it is affecting meat exports. It is affecting uh, distilled dry grains and solubles, and it is affecting ethanol. And all of those products would be helpful to the farmer here in the Midwest if we could uh, get that done. Yeah, we're going to talk RFS here in a moment, but but if, if that export market was open in China for ethanol and DDGs, that would really help weather the storm, so to speak, during this RFS situation. Right. It'd take a lot of pressure off. Uh, China has made a commitment within their country to move towards 10% ethanol. They do not have the capacity to do that. They are building capacity slowly, um, but that could be immediate market for us. They signed an agreement, I think, with Brazil about two weeks ago uh, for Brazilian ethanol. 
And we'll get a little bit of benefit of that. We have a tendency to backfill Brazil. Uh, whenever they export to some country, then we end up backfilling their, their usage. But, you know, there's some slippage there, and we won't get near the volume if we were able to ship directly to China. You know, that's something a lot of people don't realize. Brazil is a big ethanol producer, but we sell ethanol to Brazil. That's right. Uh, uh, everyone, well, probably about half the year, they're our biggest customer. It just depends on what time of, yeah. of year they're exporting into Europe and, and some other places, and we end up backfilling. We're talking with Rod Weinzerl, Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers Association here at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. Rod, we have to talk about the RFS, uh, the waivers, and uh, the demand destruction that's going on, and really the state of the ethanol industry right now. It's very important to Illinois and this economy in Illinois. Yeah, the entire Midwest is really affected by the biofuel industry, and for the last couple of years, uh, starting with Administrator Pruitt uh, and now with Administrator Wheeler, they've been granting these small refinery exemptions. Uh, the previous administration would do maybe seven or eight a year, They'd work off the Department of Energy's recommendation on whether that small refiner was having hardship. And so you'd see about seven or eight granted. But when Administrator Pruitt came in and now uh, Administrator Wheeler recently, um, basically almost every application was getting approved. And for small refiners under hardship, DOE recommendation, hey, that's what it's designed to do. But when you have an ExxonMobil or a Chevron who happens to have a couple small refiners with their fleet of many refineries, then are they really under hardship? And when you saw the administrator um, grant some of these waivers against the recommendation of Department of Energy, uh, that really caused people to become very upset. Uh, went through that with the, with the 2017 waivers, and just here a little over a week ago, uh, Administrator Wheeler went ahead and granted another uh, big tranche of uh, small refinery waivers. I think there's 31. There's still a couple pending. There's some rejected. Uh, but th- it's causing the, a number of ethanol plants to be shut down. We have one in Sage, Illinois right now, Center Ethanol, that shut down. Uh, a couple of the other ethanol plants have backed off production some. There's a number of closings going uh, to both the uh, east and west of us. Uh, a number of biodiesel plants have shut down. This also affects biodiesel as well. So um, a lot of uh, backlash last week, uh, especially Senator Grassley kind of weighed in and said this was kind of a stupid idea. Uh, that got the attention of the president, and then there were some discussions late last week of trying to figure out, okay, what do we do to deal with this? Yeah, now we're kind of waiting to see are those lost gallons going to be reallocated, and if so, in what year? Uh, there's still a lot of the things that are pending on this. Right. There's a number of things that have been brought up in the media. We haven't seen anything. We've only seen one thing out of the administration so far. But uh, to your point, you know, uh, we're hearing maybe they're going to reallocate some of these uh, RENs, these gallons, back into the market. They're talking 2021. Well, that's that's a long time, 2021. Yeah. So uh, hopefully that gets moved up to 2020. Uh, the national corn growers, along with the ethanol industry, had, had worked through a legal uh, suit uh, with EPA, actually won, and EPA was supposed to reallocate 500 million gallons over a year ago. Well, they haven't done that yet, so we're hearing maybe that's in 2020. Uh, we're hearing maybe 250 million gallons to biodiesel in 2020. Uh, one thing that uh, EPA did do uh, yesterday, got to get my days right, 
is they approved for the automobile manufacturers what's called the F factor, which allows the automobile manufacturers to get CAFE credits for flexible fuel vehicles. That's a really big deal for the autos. Uh, the autos were moving away from producing flexible fuel vehicles. Uh, EPA says that they're, they're going to move forward and grant that going forward. So in years uh, beyond 2020, if that happens, we might we should see flexible fuel vehicles down the road, which, which is really important, it creates the transition uh, for the automobile manufacturers to move towards a high-octane, more efficient car, which could see blends of 18 to 25% of ethanol five years from now if that would happen. Which would be really good news. Let's talk about E15. Are more retailers in the state of Illinois offering E15 now? Yeah. Um, the administration, uh, the president announced uh, last November that EPA should grant the Reed Vapor Pressure Waiver uh, for E15. That happened on May 30th or 31st. And we're seeing uh, more KC stations open up. Uh, some other stations, it's kind of slow as this kind of works through the process. There's about 2,000 stations right now in the U.S., mainly in the Midwest, that sell E15. And, you know, we're hoping we see thousands over the next five years or so. Well, one thing's for sure, the the White House has heard from farmers and the biofuels industry on this issue, haven't they? Yeah, um, I think when, again, Senator Grassley and, and some other folks weighed in, obviously Senator Grassley from Iowa, Iowa is an important state coming up here in the next calendar year, uh, which really uh, gained the attention. And I, I, there is a, there's several additional things that the administration's looking at, as reported uh, by the press. Now we're still waiting again for official announcement from the administration. But if they follow through on all these things, there are a number of short-term benefits uh, with this reallocation of gallons. Hopefully, that's 2020 versus 2021. But there's some longer-term things that will really help the automobile manufacturers move towards higher-octane fuels. Uh, it's still going to take some legislation to get that done, um, but that will be kind of a game-changer if that happens over the next 24 months like the RFS did in 05 and 07. Uh, we'll be watching for that. That uh, much-needed good news hopefully is coming soon. Good to see you again. Take it, care. It's great to be here, Mike. All Appreciate right. you coming down and spending some time with us. Always good to see you. Rod Weinzerl, Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers Association here on this opening day of the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. As I mentioned, we're going to talk more about the U.S.-Japan deal. We're going to talk with the President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan Hallstrom will join us next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Have you or a loved one used Roundup Weed Killer and been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? You may be entitled to compensation. Call 800-966-3316. In an August 9, 2019 Bloomberg News story, it was reported that Bayer AG is proposing to pay as much as $8 billion to settle more than 18,000 lawsuits, alleging its Roundup Weed Killer was responsible for the plaintiff's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Strict deadlines may apply, so call 800-966-3316. That's 800-966-3316 for a free case review today. Over the years, you've brought them into your home 
You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network, and I'm also broadcasting at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois. As you heard Mike talking with Matt Youngman, the manager of the show earlier, there's a lot going on this year. And also, if you've been out here before, look for some new things. We've got a hospitality building instead of a tent as hospitality moves into the former Morton Building machine shed, Morton Building, a model home just across the street. At that hospitality tent on Wednesday, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Purdue expected to be in town. Good show so far. We send it back to the studios with our Tuesday market numbers. Here is Kirsten Rawl. Monday's crop progress report showed a better than expected gain of two percentage points in the national soybean good to excellent conditions, with Illinois gaining 10 points in that category. Following the rains of last week, the 55% good to excellent readings still trailed last year's 66% and the average for this time of year. On the Board of Trade, September corn up a half cent at 358 and three quarters of a cent. September soybeans down five and a half at 848 and a quarter of a cent. Minneapolis spring wheat September a penny and three quarters higher at 494 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September a penny and three quarters higher at 390 and a half cent. September Chicago wheat up two and three quarters at 475 and three quarters of a cent. Livestock market volatility remains heightened following the wide-ranging back-and-forth market shifts in the last couple of weeks. Monday's trade optimism is fading quickly as traders look for additional support. October lean hogs down 12 cents at 63.67. August feeders up 17 cents at 138.82. August live cattle up 7 cents at 105.55. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Well, as we continue to wait to see what happens with China, we did get the good news of a trade deal with Japan. I want to talk about that now with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, thanks for joining us. How significant is this deal with Japan? Well, good morning, Mike, and thank you. Uh, yes, uh, th- we couldn't be happier. Uh, this, this development, this progress with Japan is, is music to our ears. Uh, our largest market for both beef and pork represented about $3.7 billion uh, last year. So, yeah, the, the, the progress made here, the ultimate goal is to get on a level playing field. Uh, while we don't know all the details yet of the agreement, we're confident that this is uh, in progress. And uh, honestly, if we're on a level playing field, we can compete with anybody. So uh, we're very excited because, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, all different segments, key segments in Japan, food service, national retail, regional retail, convenience store segment, all these segments are growing in consumption. So the timing is is absolutely pretty good uh, to capitalize on some more value opportunity in Japan. As you said, we're still waiting on details. Uh, Are you optimistic? Do you feel that this will get us to where we would have been had we stayed in TPP? I think that's that's the hope, yes. you know, we're, we're, we're today a 12% disadvantage on duty vis-a-vis our competitors on beef going into Japan. And, uh, and still our market, share, our market is growing. Uh, our share is dropping slightly, but the actual numbers are growing. So if we can get on an even playing field, uh, this, is, this is all that we ask because uh, uh, we can compete with anybody and, uh, and the future looks good. Tell us about what we know about the demand in Japan for our meat products. Demand is good. Uh, demand is growing, uh, especially for you, you look at the grain-fed high-quality beef uh, versus the uh, grass-fed. That segment is growing, and the demand for pork is growing as well. As I said, there's, it's not just one sector, consumption sector. It's multiple uh, you know, you look at uh, the convenience store segment in Japan, there's 55,000 convenience stores in Japan, and the perishable space is increasing for lunch boxes, bento boxes, things like this. And uh, imported uh, beef and pork are one of the primary staples that go into that sector. So uh, that's just one example. But, uh, you know, I think uh, you have the largest savings rate in the world uh, with, the, with the demographic in Japan. So there. They're a wealthy nation, they're a reliable nation, and and they want quality. So that winds up well with what we have to offer. Dan, how soon after a deal is formally signed do you think we could start seeing increases in in meat products going into Japan? Well, I think the key point, Mike, is is we need a timetable, and, and, you know, that's another detail that hasn't been released yet. But uh, we're we're in hope that it's sooner rather than later. I think as soon as the uh, customers in Japan hear the timetable, uh, whatever it might be, then they can start planning accordingly. And uh, I think this is the key point. Uh, um, you know, the, the, the key is that they need to know how to look out front. And uh, the news last week, last weekend, was fabulous. We're already hearing a lot of positives from the customer base in Japan. And like I said, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, when it comes to China, the news not as positive, although it looks like maybe they're going to 
where there are going to be more talks coming up. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, unfortunately uh, had some additional duties, uh, in, you know, put on some of our different product lines uh, for agriculture. But yeah, I, I'm still optimistic. I, I think the fact that uh, there's a will on both sides to continue talking. Uh, it's obviously there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to China, and but I think uh, you know, looking all things aside. We're still optimistic. It's a great opportunity for U.S. agriculture. Uh, and like I said, once some of these details are worked out, hopefully we can get back to some normalcy as it relates to the tariff schedule. What's the latest you're hearing on African swine fever and the demand for pork and protein in China? Well, we're the uh, on the live side, we're continuing to see uh, uh, the effects of uh, liquidation over the last several months. Uh, there, last night, again, uh, we tracked the average uh, live price on a daily basis over there, and last night a new record in terms of price hike uh, happened. Uh, so an all-time record on the price of pigs, which is no surprise considering what we've uh, heard as it relates to liquidation over the last several months. Uh, that being said, on the, on the meat side, uh, demand is still, uh, I would say, uh, so-so. Uh, freezers still have plenty of stock, but we are entering a higher demand time of year in the fall. Uh, typically, you'll see as the weather starts to cool off, similar, similar to here in the U.S., consumption tends to increase. There's a couple of holidays in September and October, which are big pork consumption times a year. So I think there's a lot of reason to think that uh, the demand side in China is, is about to improve uh, for everybody. I was going to say, I wonder, what is the reaction of the Chinese consumer to this? Um, well, it's a little hard to say. Uh, there's so many moving parts. Uh, this is something that we're watching closely. Uh, I do think there's some sort of, uh, there, there is an initial reaction anytime you have some sort of an issue, uh, an animal health issue like African swine fever. We all know here that that uh, there is no correlation to human health. Uh, the, the meat, the product, is, is not a threat to humans. But there's that initial overreaction, and I think we're seeing that to some extent in China. But, you know, they are such a culture of pork eaters that we think that uh, that initial reaction will be short-lived, and, and we do feel like uh, consumption will rebound. As I said a few minutes ago, uh, uh, the fall is typically a better demand time of year, and the winter is even better than that with the... Uh, Lunar New Year is uh, the peak season for consumption, and that's, uh, you know, end of July, of January. So, yeah, I think we're entering a several months of in- improved demand, and, uh, you know, that'll definitely help things on the uh, marketing side. Dan, any other key markets we should keep an eye on, developing markets? Well, yeah, I think, uh, as we've talked in past programs, Central and South America continue to be Absolutely phenomenal growth markets. They're small relative to Japan and China, but uh, but the growth rates are impressive. And uh, we're continuing to see markets like uh, Colombia and markets like uh, uh, you know El Salvador, Guatemala, Panama. These are all growing. They're, you put them all by themselves, and they're smaller markets, but you add them up as a region, and they're significant. So uh, yeah, we continue to see fantastic demand on both beef and pork into that region. I, I think you can plan on that continuing in the future. 
We hear a lot of the term used backfilling. What we're not selling, whether it's grain or other products to China, someone else is. So we come in and backfill to some of their uh, customers or to the, some of those markets. Is, is there much of that going on when it comes to meat? Yeah, I think, Mike, I think you bring up a great point. Uh, you know, we, we, today we have significant duties on U.S. beef and pork going into China, but the demand is, is booming, uh, you know, on beef, for example, in China. And uh, so, yeah, there will be an impact uh, globally. The, the supply flows will be, it'll, this shortage of protein caused by ASF in China and in Southeast Asia eventually will benefit us one way or another because there's only so much protein in the world. Uh, there's a significant upcoming delta or, or shortage uh, that hasn't been realized yet, but it will be in China. And whether we go directly into China or we backfill into markets like uh, Philippines, for example, uh, one way or the other, we will see increased demand in the, in the U.S. for uh, protein. And what about uh, the European Union? Um, you know, we keep hearing that there could be some kind of a deal there. It's, it seems like a, a, a heavy lift when it comes to agriculture, but what are the opportunities there? Of course, we've had a recent deal on beef that allowed some more U.S. beef in. Uh, give us an update on the EU. Yeah, well, the EU beef, uh, you know, success that happened uh, early this month, uh, we're excited about that, and we're gearing up for that. Uh, so that's a good that's a good news story. But I think uh, you know the, the EU in general, as you said, is, is a bit of a heavy lift. Um, however, I will say with the Brexit situation, the UK uh, that UK represents an opportunity as well. And uh, I, I can speak from past experience that uh, both beef and pork have significant demand into the UK as as well as the rest of the EU, but uh, we cannot forget about the UK when they uh, get to their end of October uh, deadline to exit the EU. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, maybe a little more of a medium-term opportunity versus a short-term one, but, yeah, I, I think you can't forget about the EU it's, uh, and the UK. Both, both could be a good potential incremental markets. Dan, always good to talk to you. Thanks for the update. Yeah, thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Take care. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, we're here in Decatur, Illinois at the Farm Progress Show, day number one. Field demonstrations canceled for today, but they should be on schedule for tomorrow and Thursday. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. What are some things that you should be watching for and uh, what are some of the things that you can do to try to fight this uh, profit robber, this yield robber that so often goes uh, undetected under the radar screen. We'll have some information from uh, the Soybean Cyst Nematode Coalition. That is coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Well, let's get an update on the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. Joining us now is University of Illinois plant breeder, Dr. Brian Deers. Brian, thanks for joining us. I was just thinking in this year with all the crop production challenges, SCN is another challenge, a profit robber, yield robber that uh, sometimes flies under the radar, just not as obvious, not as uh, easily seen uh, as a, a weather event. That's absolutely correct. Here in Illinois, where we have very good soils, we often will have losses from SEM, and people won't, won't see any above-ground symptoms. Plants will look very healthy, but yet there will be losses due to SEM. What you can do is just take soil samples, send them to a testing lab, and they'll at least tell you whether or not SEM is present in the field, and they'll also tell you how big of a problem it is. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Okay, I only have 15 seconds to tell you about Tavium Plus Vapor Grip Technology, the new Dicamba premix herbicide from Syngenta. It controls tough weeds and soybeans like Palmer Amaranth, water hemp, and grass weeds. Actually, we're going to go longer because Tavium lasts longer. So you get all the power of Dicamba plus up to three weeks longer residual control than Dicamba alone. Now time's officially up for tough weeds. Talk to your local Syngenta retailer to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Tavium Plus Vapor Grip Technology is a restricted-use pesticide. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. 
She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And back here in Decatur, Illinois, day number one of this year's Farm Progress Show. Joining me now from the University of Missouri is Caitlin Bissonette. I saw her at the uh, Missouri State Fair not long ago, and she's here at Farm Progress now uh, helping get the message out about fighting soybean cyst nematode. Caitlin, thank you for being with us. You and I were talking before we started, uh, before we got on the air, that with all the flooding that's gone on this year, maybe some farmers are thinking, hey, we've drowned out soybean cyst nematode for this year. That's not the case, huh? That is not the case. There's a lot of misconception that, hey, my field's been underwater for maybe a week, a month, three months. Obviously, these nematodes have been drowned, and I'm safe from soybean cyst nematode, but they can survive for over 600 days in the soil underwater. So that is definitely not the case. So that's the bad news, but maybe some good news from the weather conditions this year. Some good news that has come from the weather conditions with some of the delayed planting that we have seen is actually the fact that there are less cycles that will occur this year based on the fact that we're about a month behind on planting, less cycles of the nematode that have occurred in season, but also in wetter years, we tend to see less reproduction than we do see in drier seasons. So less reproduction, fewer cycles, but not elimination of soybean cyst nematode. That is correct. So what what is your message in to farmers? First of all, don't don't assume that it's gone because your fields have been underwater, but what do they need to do? This year, really, it's about understanding which fields have flooded and where we might need to look at resampling. So which fields maybe had washout occur and where soil has been redeposited. That's really where we need to look at sampling again. So a field that some soil has deposited into and cutting that into management zones and and figuring out what areas have had that. So the flooding just maybe move things around, right? So they need to keep accurate testing then. Correct. The cysts themselves actually float in water. And so where water has moved, the cysts is really important. Mm -hmm. Now we talk about this a lot that Soybean cyst nematode is that invisible robber of yield, right, and and robber of profit. 
this year the weather conditions have been so obvious those challenges but scn is is also still that challenge that we just don't always see and easy to get preoccupied with other problems this year but don't overlook scn scn is always underground and is always that silent killer it it has always underground it is always taking those nutrients from the plant and even in the absence of symptoms we still have yield loss as a result of SCM. Now, tell us about when's the best time to take the soil test. The best time to take a soil test is in the fall after a soybean crop because that's when the populations are going to be the highest, and that gives the most accurate representation of what is going on in a field. The next best time, if you really can't get into a field, is going to be the following spring before planting a soybean crop. Because this year, as late as harvest is going to be, that might push it back more to next spring. Correct. Kind of like we saw last fall, it was really difficult to get into the field, so the next best time was this past spring. However, this spring was also difficult to get in. So whatever time you can really get in, taking a test at all, is really a good time to take the test. So after you do the test and you see you've got problems with SCN, what's the next step? Once you have your test, that's when you start to build a management strategy. What your egg levels are at really dictates what magnitude of management you need to practice, whether it's just the basic using a resistant variety plus Uh, utilizing non-host crops in rotation or extending that non-host crop rotation and integrating other sources of resistance. Depending upon how high those egg levels, that really is the indicator of change. So until you take the test, you don't know what those egg levels are. And then when you have that reading, you say, okay, your egg level is here. This is what you need to do, right? Correct. And that egg level really matters by region. So for me in Missouri, when I talk to farmers, if you have egg counts of 2,000 eggs per 100 cc's of soil, that will dictate a low level of eggs in the soil and will not have a high level of management that's needed versus having 80,000 eggs per 100 cc's of soil. Whereas in other parts of the country, where North Dakota, the lower egg counts might be indicative of needing more change. How much progress are we making against SCN? We're making actually quite a bit of progress, especially on the front of resistance to resistance management. So utilizing resistant varieties, uh, for the last 20 years, we've had the same source of resistance in about 95% of varieties. And there are new resistance sources currently being uh, explored and coming in the pipeline uh, through some university research that's being conducted. And that's actually really close to coming to market uh, through this university research. So a lot up till now, a lot of it's been awareness, but now we're starting to get more tools to fight soybean cystinimitase. Correct. And, and that's been the biggest challenge that we've been facing is really the only tools we've had for the longest time have been non-host crops and the single source of resistance. Now we have integrated into the system, we also have... Uh, nematode protectant seed treatments on the market as well as the promise of these new sources of resistance 
that can be integrated into this system. So it's been a long battle, but we're starting to, to make some progress. But it all still starts with that soil test, right? It all starts with the soil test. Find out what those egg populations are. All right, Caitlin, thank you very much. Uh, always good to get the updates and uh, that ongoing battle, get those tests done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Caitlin Bissonette uh, from the University of Missouri with the latest from the Soybean Cyst Nematode Coalition on the fight against uh, SCN. All right, tomorrow I'll be back here at the Farm Progress Show Indicator. We'll be broadcasting from the Syngenta exhibit. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mike Adams. Have a great day. You're listening to AOA. AOA.